Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 14. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I have a friend named Martin who is a pastor in Berlin, Germany. And he describes Eastern Germany as a whole, not only as post-Christian today, but as post-post-Christian. He says, the, the people around me have forgotten that they've forgotten about God. We are generations removed from, from most people in our city and most people in our area and most people even in our country calling themselves Christians. And in fact, today, Germany as a country ranks dead last among all European nations in the percentage of those who say they believe in God. Only 10% of Germans who were surveyed say they believe in God with absolute certainty. And Martin talks about how so many of the churches in Germany, which once were filled with people and filled with worship, even centuries-old churches that had generation after generation worshiping Christ in their within their walls that today they're they're more like museums and if you've been in places in western europe that's true in a lot of different places and he tells the story my friend martin of walking down past one of berlin's famous older churches and seeing a young boy who was walking with his father and hearing the the boy ask his father who is that man on that statue up there hanging on those two pieces of wood not even sure who Jesus was what the cross is all about and it's amazing to consider that this is true in eastern Germany where, where ultimately that was the birthplace of the German Protestant church that was the birthplace of Protestant Christianity how is it possible that a place that used to be among the most Christian places in the world is now one of the least Christian places in the world at least in their own self-identification. They used to be one of the most Christian places. Now, 
they're one of the least. So what happened? Because we know that in the United States, we are typically just a couple of decades behind things that happen in Western Europe. So, so what happened in Germany that, that might be instructive for us as we think about our own time and our own place? Well, certainly there were some outside forces that were factors in the decline of the German church. There was an increase in secularism over several decades throughout Western Europe. There was an increase in religious pluralism that blurred the lines of faith for many people. There was also just a, a, a general disinterest in faith, and, and that is throughout Europe and certainly affected Germany. But there were also evils, especially in the last century, that crept into the German church. There were pastors from pulpits proclaiming Nazi ideals. There were things happening in German Protestant churches that not only were they not biblical, they weren't even human in terms of their dignity. And as many churches in Germany began to make unholy alliances with evil around them, what else would we have expected to happen except that the church would erode from the inside and its gospel effectiveness would be rendered ultimately useless? That's what happened there. We look at our culture today, and we certainly can see, even here in the Bible Belt, a general disinterest among many in matters of faith. So what does it look like for us to, to learn from the past, to look at our own situation, and to sort of think about those two things? What are the things on the outside of the church that play a role? And then what are the things on the inside of the church that we must keep our guard up about and be aware that, that those things can afflict us as well? In Matthew chapter 24, near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he gives us this incredible teaching about what we like to call the end times, or you might be one who loves to study eschatology, the last days. What are things going to be like just before Christ returns. And having come out of the book of Amos for the last several weeks and talking about things like judgment and justice and restoration, and, and then we're, we're right on, on the brink of moving into Advent where we're going to joyfully celebrate and remember the birth of Christ, I thought today would be a, a time to talk for just a moment about his return and how Jesus told us we as his people should be preparing ourselves for that day and that hour when he comes back. The context of this passage in Matthew 24 was just after, if you read in the chapters previous, Jesus had been having dialogue with lots of different people and lots of different groups of people. Groups were coming to him, people were coming to him, and they were asking him all kinds of questions. And so we have in these latter chapters of Matthew some of Jesus' most memorable teaching, some of his most memorable disagreements with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And all in the shadow of the temple, Jesus was having these, these many conversations with lots of different people. On Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, Matthew tells us that they decided to leave the area of the temple. And as they were walking away, the disciples who were with him called attention to the temple and some of the magnificent buildings that were all around. And they called Jesus' attention to them. Can you see, Jesus, how amazing are our places of worship? Jesus said in verse 2, Do you see all of these things? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. 
every one of them will be thrown down. And I sort of read between the lines in the first part of the chapter, and it's almost like what Jesus said in verse 2 left the disciples in a stunned silence. They didn't know quite how to respond. And so it was sometime later, verse 3 tells us, that they found themselves in a familiar spot for Jesus to teach. They were on the Mount of Olives. And if you've ever been to Israel still today, the Mount of Olives is an impressive place to visit. For, for one thing, it's just a beautiful space with its groves and its gardens and its olive trees. But it's also in this prime spot right on the other side of the old city of Jerusalem where wherever you are on the Mount of Olives, you can see into the old city. And, and sitting on the side of the mountain, they would have been looking at the Temple Mount. They would have been looking at the buildings Jesus just talked about, seeing the whole span of the old city of Jerusalem, God's holy city, right in front of them. And there, they finally were able to ask Jesus their follow-up question. Can you tell us, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your, your coming and of the end of the age? And I don't know about you, but... This is one of those times where I sort of wish Jesus would have actually answered the question directly. Jesus loved to do that, didn't he? People would ask him a direct question and he would respond with a parable. They would ask him a question rather than answering the question, he would give an extended teaching like he does here. Or they would ask Jesus a question and very commonly he would return an even better question to them that they couldn't answer. This moment, rather than Jesus saying, in answer to the question, when will this happen? Rather than saying, well, I'll go ahead and let you know. It's on this day, at this time, at this hour. This is the moment that I'm coming back. Instead, Jesus gave us this teaching. And rather than answering the question of when, about the day and the hour, instead, Jesus tells us as his disciples today, just as he said to his disciples then, it's important not that you know when, but that you be prepared in whichever time you live. So what does Jesus tell us here? Well, he tells us to prepare ourselves both for the things we will face from the outside and also the things that we could be at risk facing inside the church. From the outside, Jesus begins this teaching in verse 4 talking about the perils of this world. And hanging over all of these descriptions from the outside that Jesus talks about is this idea, watch out that no one deceives you. And I don't know about you, but in, in these times where constantly we are being told that we can't trust information, and not only do we not trust information, but we also are growing in our lack of trust in our institutions— this is such a good reminder and such a clear teaching from the Lord. Watch out that no one deceives you. As we talked about through the book of Amos, keep yourself and keep your family grounded in the word of God so that in an age with much deception, you will know how to stand. And when you know how to stand, you'll also know how to walk faithfully in obedience to the Lord. Watch out that no one deceives you. For, verse 5, here's what things will look like out in the world. First, many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. And amazingly, they will deceive many. Isn't it astounding 
that nearly 2,000 years after Jesus said this, this still happens. There are still people who emerge today in our generations claiming to be the Messiah. And even more astounding than that is they still continue to deceive many and they gain followers. Let me just mention three quick things here that I think are important about this idea of somebody claiming to be the Messiah and deceiving many. First, watch their character closely. If someone claims to be a Messiah, if someone expects to be treated like a God, you need to run as far away from that person as you can, okay? Watch their character. The second is remember that we are not saviors either. Sometimes I think even as the church, as Christians, we need to remember that we go with the gospel, but we are not the savior ourselves. When we go out with the, the good news of Jesus Christ, that we may want to save the world and change everything bad for the good, Jesus Christ is the savior. The good news we've been, been given to proclaim is not the message of self, it's the message of Christ, right? And we go in his strength, we go in his power, because we go in his name. We are not messiahs either. And then third, and I think this one is especially important, when Jesus the Messiah truly returns to the earth, there will be no doubt, okay? You will not miss him. We will not miss him. We won't have to wonder when Christ returns with the shout and the trumpet of the archangel and he makes his presence known again physically on the earth, everyone will know when Jesus returns. Many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And then also from the outside, Jesus says, and, and you will hear of wars and you'll hear of rumors of wars. And this is a terrible reality of life on this planet. Since the, the first emergence of civilizations, there's never been a time where there have not been wars and rumors of wars, and these have not been realities in our lives. I think we have to be careful. Some of us get really, really interested in talking about and discussing the end times. And part of that growing interest that happens also makes us want to find things that we can point to and say, we know for sure this is a sign of the end. This is a sign of, of the coming of the Messiah. We're not the first persons to feel that way. In fact, the disciples, the apostles of the New Testament, I believe they truly thought Christ was going to return in their lifetime, as did the next generation and the next generation. And Jesus makes so clear for us just a little bit later in the chapter, be careful because about that day or the hour, nobody knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor even the Son, but only the Father. And you can almost be sure if somebody tells you they know for sure when Jesus is coming back that it's probably not going to be that day, right? Because nobody knows. And listen, that's the point. The reason that even later on Jesus doesn't give us the time, the day, or the hour is so that we would always live our lives in preparation. That we would, because we're not sure whether or not it will happen in our generation, that we would live every day just as Jesus describes there in verse 42. Keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known, 
the thief was coming, he would have kept watch. And he would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. That is the point. To live all of life ready and prepared, walking in obedience with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You will hear of wars, rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. The motives that are as old as time, things like greed and power and pride, will constantly cause nation to rise and kingdom to rise and people to turn on each other and dehumanize each other and and decide in their hearts to conquer for all the wrong reasons. And there will be global tragedies. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places that will always make us stop and pay attention. And that's not bad, that we would stop for a moment the frenetic pace of our lives and pay attention when we see something terrible happen. But even then, Jesus says, the end is still coming. These are all things that are a part of living in a fallen and a broken world. See to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen. The end is still to come. All of these are the beginning of the birth pains. But as we continue to live on on this earth to this day, we remember that no matter what perils come from the outside, that's not what dictates who we are. What happens on the outside is not what decides the way that we're supposed to live. But we stand firm in faith and we walk with confidence, obedience to Christ because whenever he returns, Whenever the end comes, we will indeed receive our reward. So maybe I share a couple of what I hope will be encouraging things for you. First of all, yes, this world can be a dark and discouraging place. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Because the call of the true disciple of Christ is to guard our hearts and to keep our heads and to walk in the Spirit even in the darkest and most confusing times. And we take heart because even when kingdom rises up against kingdom and nation against nation, we remember that in Jesus Christ we are citizens of a kingdom that is from a different place. And as citizens of Christ's eternal kingdom, no matter what happens among the kingdoms of earth, his kingdom alone will last forever. And no one will ever be able to assail his throne, his power, and his control over everything that exists. Brothers and sisters, take heart. Jesus Christ has overcome the world. When when things seem hopeless, our hope in him remains. We will not always have all of the answers. And we won't always be able to avoid pain or even persecution, as we'll see in a moment. But in any case, we can be prepared. We can be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when he is not expected. But walking in faithful obedience to him, we will be good. I assure you, we will be good when that moment comes. More often than not, we... We have little to say in what happens in this world. 
ultimately we really can't do much to change the perils of the outside world but inside of the church is where the true disciple of Christ must display the highest diligence to guard our hearts and to be aware that there are afflictions that can rise up inside the community of faith. And it's those afflictions that when we see them, when we sniff them out, that we must take the greatest care to make sure that they're not true in our heart and listen, that they're not true in our community. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, in a meeting where our, our state, Oklahoma Baptist State Executive Director Todd Fisher was talking and Todd's been in the role as our state executive director for a little over a year. And in that time, he has made it his goal to visit all 27 of our associations of churches around Oklahoma. That's a lot of associations to visit. We have over 1,800 churches in Oklahoma, if you didn't know that, and, and Baptist churches, and most of them are not like South Tulsa. They're not suburban churches or city churches. They are rural churches out in the country with small membership, and, and many of those pastors are multivocational. They have two or three jobs that they're performing to, to be able to support their family. Over the last year, as Todd has gone to those associations, so far he's met with over 800 of our Oklahoma Baptist pastors. And he says that the most common theme that he hears from pastors all over our state is that they are discouraged, that they feel beaten up, and that they feel very lonely. They feel like they're out on an island and nobody understands what they're going through. They, they are struggling greatly in their roles as pastors. Can I tell you from the bottom of my heart as your pastor, that's not how I feel. For the last several years, I have felt overall very encouraged in this church. I have felt very supported. And I have felt and, and believe today that we are experiencing great times. God has been so faithful. He has walked us through so much in the last few years. We could have had a lot of reasons to not be happy with each other. Going through a pandemic, going through all of, uh, of the, the, the toxicity around us and all of the anger and frustration... God has been so good to us. I'm so glad some people said amen. In the 830 service, one person said amen. And I, 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 there has to be more than just one, right? I, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Kemp. I believe we're experiencing times of blessing and I believe we have good times ahead. But listen to me, it's in times like these that we must guard our hearts. And we must be so diligent to not let our guard down that these things Jesus describes that afflict the community of faith on the inside don't happen in our midst. And that we remember the one who stands firm to the end will receive their reward, the reward of eternal salvation. Some of the things that will happen inside of the church, Jesus says you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And throughout the history of the church, severe persecution has happened. It is happening in many places in the world right now, and it will continue to happen. The world will hate you, Jesus says, because of me. Now, I think we should be careful, as American Christians, what we call persecution. 
because we have lots of brothers and sisters in Christ experiencing persecution that's a lot more than what we usually call persecution which is basically somebody was mean to me or they didn't like what I what I said or they said something that wasn't nice not to say we don't see persecution even now in our culture because it exists but Jesus promised that those who walk faithfully with him as disciples that this is something we can expect and perhaps even more in the future you will be persecuted some will be put to death you will be hated by all nations because of me and I think it's important to mention here that what Jesus says is will be hated by all nations because of him it's different to be hated because we follow Jesus than it is to be hated because we're jerks right totally different thing and the apostle Peter talks about this in first Peter chapter 2 and I find it interesting that Peter is the apostle who talks about this when we read the stories of Peter as a disciple he was the one that seemed to be the most bullheaded and to put his foot in his mouth the most but as he grew in maturity as a disciple as he became an apostle and a leader in the church as an older follower of Jesus in first Peter 2 Peter says over and over again if we're to be persecuted let it be because we are living in righteousness not because we're doing evil if we're going to be persecuted let it be because we're being faithful to the gospel not because we're all about ourselves and to remind us of the greatest example we have of how to live with others and how to respond to others Peter points us to Christ himself to this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth and when they hurled their insults at him he did not retaliate when he suffered he made no threats instead he entrusted himself to him who judges justly you will be hated by all nations because of me and at that time many will turn away from the faith and they will betray each other they will fall prey to the same scheme the devil used in the garden what did he do first he turned adam and eve against god and then he turned them against each other he turned them against god by first saying did did god really say did he really mean it when he told you not to eat from that particular tree he turned them against god and then enmity developed between man and woman that still exists today the the devil the enemy loves to turn us against god and against each other at that time many will do that and many false prophets will appear and sadly those false prophets will continue to deceive many people and there are people today just as there have been throughout history who will claim to speak for god but they act like the devil do not listen to them those false prophets today many of them say in the name of god even claiming to be speaking from scripture that that we should give in to hatred that we should no longer love our neighbor we should only love the neighbors that we choose to love that we should give in to this constant culture that is fueled by anger and filled with hatred and that leads to what jesus says next through the false prophets who appear and deceive many 
there will be an increase of wickedness and the love of most will grow cold. And that to me, brothers and sisters, church family, that this is the one I see as the greatest danger in churches like ours. I'm not saying ours, but I'm saying in churches like ours that, that we would give in to all of that anger and hatred and all of that stuff that's coming in through our eyes and our ears and into our hearts and into our minds and that we would let our love grow cold. May that never be the case for us, that our love grows cold. In fact, what I pray for us every single Sunday is that after we have opened Scripture together, we would not leave here discouraged and we would not leave here angrier. There's too many things trying to make us angrier, that we would not leave here angrier, and especially that we would not leave here angry about the lostness around us. Yes, there are many perils of this world, and there is a lot of lostness around us, but I pray that when we leave here after opening the word together, that we would leave not discouraged, but with more confidence in the sovereignty of God, that he is in control and that we would leave here not angrier, but with more love in our hearts and faith and hope that only comes from the Lord. And I pray that we'd, we would leave here not angry that the world around us is lost, but broken by that lostness. And that in our hearts, we would desire, as those who stand firm and want to stand firm to the end, that we would desire that the gospel of the kingdom, as Jesus concludes will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And as the good news is proclaimed, and as we are active participants in the good news of the gospel of the kingdom being preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, then we know we will celebrate when the end comes and Christ returns. This morning in our 8.30 service, we also had a baptism it's amazing how God just keeps giving me sermon illustrations because I make mistakes. I don't know what happened in my brain, but for some reason, I, I don't know how many hundreds of baptisms I've done. I forgot to ask Megan. Megan's one of our teenagers. I forgot to ask her to say Jesus is Lord. So we got all the way through the baptism. We prayed the commissioning prayer. And when I turned my microphone off, Megan said, you forgot to ask me to say Jesus is Lord. And I said, oh my goodness. Well, while we're still in the water, you can say it now. And I thought she would just say it. But Megan turned to the congregation in the middle of the song and she threw her hand up in the air and said, Jesus is Lord. It was amazing. It was amazing. What a... What a, great, what a great moment God provided. Why is that not the confession of our hearts every day with that kind of joy, that kind of explanation, and not only the, the, the confession of our mouths, but of our lives, that we would live in such a way that we leave no doubt, we believe Jesus is Lord, Jesus is our King, and His kingdom is from a different place, and someday we will be in that place with him forever. That is the promise of our reward. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. I want to close with this quote that I think says it so perfectly. How does one fight darkness? The perils of the world, the afflictions in the church. How does one fight darkness? Not with one's fist, 
You don't chase darkness out of the room with a broom. You turn on a light. And our call to preach the gospel of the kingdom to the whole world as a testimony to all nations is to walk into that darkness and to turn on the light and be people who faithfully proclaim the hope that gives us hope, the hope of Jesus Christ. And I pray today that you know that hope and I pray today that you with all that energy and joy and excitement would proclaim it for the world to hear that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you today that as we think about all the questions that come into our mind when we wonder when you'll return, what will that look like? How will we know? What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Lord, that even if we can't say for sure that we know the answers to those questions we can say for sure that we believe you are lord and that when our lives belong to you that we know your kingdom which endures forever will be our heavenly home today if there's anyone here who has never turned their heart to you lord they've never surrendered their entire life believed upon you for salvation what you've done for us on the cross that you rose from the dead. Lord, if there's anyone who, who's never confessed their sin to you and, and, and in repentance said, I, I'm giving you, Lord, my whole life from this day forward, I pray today that you would speak to their heart and that as we've lifted up the name of Jesus Christ in, in song and from Scripture, that today, Lord, you would draw them to you. And for each and every one of us, wherever we are, Lord, I pray that you would fix our eyes on you and help us to continue to take the next steps of obedience. And to live as people who are prepared, even if others around us seem disinterested in faith, would live as people who are prepared to give an answer for what we believe at every moment and know that at any day and hour, you could come back for your church. Let us live with that hopeful expectancy and that faithful commitment in Jesus' name. Amen.